And now, this is the DDT Wrestling Podcast with New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, DC Matthews, and the unendorsed Doc Manson. It is All Saints Day here in the neighborhood, November 1st. My name is DC Matthews, at DC Matthews NAI. I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders, and as always here on DDT Wrestling, I am joined by the unofficial, unendorsed, the sponsor of Halloween. Halloween is his favorite holiday, Doc Manson, at Doc Manson. Doc, tell us, please. Why is Halloween one of, if not, your favorite holiday? Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of things that go into making Halloween awesome. Yeah, living in New England, the fall is a wonderful time of year where one day it can be 80 degrees, the next day it can be 24. And, uh, you know, the trees, they change color, and there's that nice sort of foliage going on. There's just this sort of feeling in the air. You know, it's just that, that spirit, that essence of fall, which I think translates really well into the holiday of Halloween. And, you know, spooks and goblins and ghosts and specters and goblins and ghoulies and whatever else you want to call. I mean, some of my favorite things, favorite childhood memories, you know, being scared, uh, watching scary movies. Uh, It's just all good fun now, you know what I mean? And to this day, I still like scary movies and Halloween. I love going to haunted attractions. And I don't know, it's just just fun. It's an excuse to be a kid again, you know? It's just, it's a... it's a good time. It's a good time. I should point out that we are not alone here on DDT Wrestling. We are joined for the first time by the furriest member of the DDT Wrestling crew, and it is Oscar. Hashtag Oscar Yes here in the studios. Uh, I won't ask him to say anything because he'll just start barking at me. But uh, how how did Oscar enjoy Halloween? Because I know the Manson family does it does it up. They have a they have a celebration over there at Halloween. Absolutely. Uh, so I've posted you know onto at Doc Manson on Twitter. I've got some pictures up from our night last night. Um, there's even a one in there. Hashtag Oscar Yes of Oscarsaurus Rex. He uh, got dressed up as a little. Tyrannosaurus, or maybe more of a Stegosaurus, I guess, the plate's on his back, but whatever. I think he's the king of the Oscosaurs, if not for just one night. And, um, you know, I put up some window monsters, I just make these silhouettes out of cardboard, paint them black, get some LEDs off of Newark, and some 9-volt batteries, and wire them up, make a nice little display in the upstairs and downstairs windows, so the kids come by and they see a little show. It's always fun watching the real little kids, because they go, ah, when they see them, you know, and the parents are like, it's just a decoration, it's just a decoration. And then, you know, all the dads whose wives are like, oh, why don't we do something like this next year? And the dads are like, because we have kids, and they take up all of our time. But I don't have kids, so I get to do all this kind of stuff, and it's fun, you know? I guess I should probably have a Shocktober check-in. I fell off the wagon pretty hard also. Uh, I think I got up to 22, 23 movies, and that was it for the month. A good showing. Good showing. Um, I have not written about any in a while. Hopefully I'll get some more of those out shortly. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good season overall. Oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one thing. I I don't know uh, what you were about to add, but the one thing I want to add is last night on Stars, for those of you who... uh, happened to get that channel 
Um, my backstory, obviously I love horror movies. BmovieGeek.com I think is an attestment to that. Uh, but my favorite, my favorite series of all time would have to be The Evil Dead. Um, those original films, particularly uh, Part 2, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, is, I think, just a masterful movie. It walks that line between horror and comedy so well. There's so much slapstick in that film, and it's all played really, really well. And Ashley uh, J. Williams, if you want to believe that's his full name, Ash, the main character there, played by Bruce Campbell, is just one of the all-time I- sort of iconic horror movie, B-movie badasses, you know, and anyways, as I was saying, on Stars last night premiering, it was at 9 p.m. Eastern, was Ash vs. Evil Dead, a new series that's on the Stars Network, and I was able to uh, catch that. And yeah, man, that show, I can tell already, is going to be great. I love it. Uh, it really throws back to some of the earlier movies. It's got that, you know, for next sort of camera work, that early Sam Raimi stuff. Uh, Bruce Campbell's back, hamming it up. Uh, Necronomicon, Deadites, all over the place. Gory, chainsaws, shotguns. They're introducing some new characters. Uh, it looks really good. I'm looking forward to uh, you know the complete ride on that one. So if you do get a chance, Ash versus Evil Dead. It's a, the first episode's live. So here's my question: the first movie I saw from that trilogy was, I believe, the third one, Army of Darkness. Which I'm not a horror fan. I think I've quite public in saying that. But I enjoyed that movie very much. So, is there a chronology there? Is Army of Darkness a remake of Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2? How does it work storyline-wise? Okay, so... Evil Dead 2 is basically... Like, the first 20 to 30 minutes of Evil Dead 2 is a remake of the first film. Okay. Um, And then they do new material for the remainder of Evil Dead 2. And then Army of Darkness sort of picks up at the end of the Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2, he opens up a time portal, sucks the evil back to medieval times, he gets caught up in it, and then Army of Darkness begins with Ash landing on the other side of that time warp, basically, in medieval times. So that film, Army of Darkness, uh, is much less horror than the first two. It's more of a fantasy action adventure, you know, sort of uh, Indiana Jones with maybe a little more horror bend, but it's still very not played for scares. I don't think, which is probably uh, why I like. Which is probably why I like it. Yeah, it's definitely the least uh, horror of the three, and I would say it's probably my least favorite because of that. Although a lot of the things I like about Ash do come from that film. A lot of the uh, you know quotes and sayings and things. Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness combined, but Army of Darkness definitely is very quotable for a film. Um, the weird thing about Ash versus Evil Dead, though, is evidently they were not able to get the rights to Army of Darkness. So all the backstory that appears in Ash versus Evil Dead is from Evil Dead 1 and 2. And all the stuff that sort of happened in Army of Darkness really isn't touched upon at all. So you could kind of sort of believe that it just sort of happened and maybe... You know, there's one way that story ends where he ends up back in modern times. I guess you could kind of just assume that that's what happened before Ash vs. Evil Dead, but they don't acknowledge it at all. And none of the developments from that film appear in the series either. So, like, he makes a working sort of mechanical hand to replace the one that he loses in Evil Dead 2 in Army of Darkness, and he does not have that mechanical hand in the TV series. Again, they can't use any of the intellectual property associated with that third film. So, they sort of 
just gloss over some of that stuff, but I think it still works together, fits, if you just kind of, as a fan, want to gloss in uh, what might have happened in between there. It still works. Uh, one thing I will say about that series is, from the beginning, the first film, Ash is more of a victim character. He's almost like a male surrogate for the final girl type character. He's not very badass, even though he is the protagonist. The second film, he changes quite a bit. It's, again, played much more for laughs. The first one was more of a straight comedy that happened to be funny because it was very cheaply made. The second one, the comedy is intentional, and Ash is much more of a man's man. He's a little chauvinistic. He's, you know, a little bit of an idiot, but he knows how to kick Deadite ass. He knows how to kill demons, you know? And that's what makes him this, you know, incredible, cool badass. The third one his character develops to the point where yeah, he's still a badass when it comes to killing those demons but he's really an idiot like, he's progressing, his IQ is dropping in every installment in this series and I must say that Asher's the Evil Dead continues this trend he, he's just a complete dolt like, this character has gone and he's, come this, he's, just, he's a complete idiot everything bad that happens in that series really is his fault like everything, he makes bad decisions, and that's. What, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. So if people are interested in watching the new one, everything is just always. It's his fault. He's an idiot, and um, but when he but he still has that nice dichotomy that when it comes time to get into the action to actually take down some demons, somehow he's you know the chosen one. He just he knows he knows how to get it done, and it's a neat sort of dichotomy dichotomy to that character. I do miss maybe the more sort of serious badass tone from Evil 2. It's maybe a little too comedic, the Ash character now. Uh, but, you know, it works. It's still good fun, and I think it is really a good continuation. All of us that were sort of disappointed with the Evil Dead remake that came out in 2013, that went super serious, you know, very dark horror, uh, didn't have the Ash character in it. Bruce Campbell didn't appear except for a stinger at the end of the credits. Um, you know, that film I liked a lot. It got back to the horror roots. I really thought that was a strong film. But it was not the continuation of the Evil Dead that I wanted. And this series totally is. So I'm happy that it's out there. And who knows, maybe we'll get some more. Klaatu Barada Necktie. Yeah. Do you know where that's from originally? I do not. I know the Necronomicon is not new to the new to the world in the Evil Dead movies. I'm sure it existed beforehand. Yeah, it's actually not from uh, you know any sort of real Necronomicon. That little saying there is from The Day the Earth Stood Still, an old science fiction movie. It's the command that the alien uses to activate uh, the killer robot. Um, anyways, it's just a neat little you know throwback to Easter an old egg. genre film. A little Easter egg there for you. Absolutely. There you go. Well, all right. Uh, last thing before we get into talking about Halloween in wrestling. Uh, the best pumpkin thing... The best pumpkin food you've had this year. Okay, best pumpkin food I had this year would have to go to the pumpkin spice Oreos. They were fantastic. They had a little bit of spice to them. You could almost close your eyes and pretend they were like a molasses butterscotch cookie or something like that. Um, They were surprisingly delectable and... uh, you know, they're very similar to like a Christmas cookie that we make in the house, and I thought they were delicious. Absolutely. Full recommendations. Pumpkin Spice Oreos. If you can find them before they go out of stock, I recommend picking up a batch. I would imagine they'll be cheaper. Do you think that Absolutely. would be the price? How, are you disappointed with the fact that it seems like stores are no longer offering 
the true 50% off candy. What do you mean? My local Mega Mart, which is 90 seconds down the road. If I go there today, it, Christmas stuff will be everywhere. And what little uh, Halloween candy will be left will be like a dollar off or a dollar fifty off. But it used to be literally the day after a holiday, the day after Easter, the day after Halloween, candy was 50% off, and that was it. It doesn't seem to be that way anymore. I think if you hit up CVS, you might be pleasantly surprised. Well, then maybe that's it. Maybe I just shouldn't go to the big conglomerate chain that I go to. (laughs) All right, so it is the Halloween season, and I know Halloween has technically ended, but... You and I have not had our discussion, which we've been teasing for weeks now, about yeah, our fi- bronchitis. Well, excuse me. You can tell by my voice. I'm still working my way back from sounding like a dead frog. But who are your favorite supernatural characters or the Halloween themed characters? Because WWE.com right now has like your list of the 50 scariest characters, but a lot of them I wouldn't consider on a, you know, Sid is scary for completely different reasons than anything Halloween-y. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, I have a list here of supernatural type characters. Uh, I don't know, like, if there's other ones that maybe you could think of that I don't have on my list, I, I don't know, but... I have a list as well, so let's compare notes. All right, so I think, you know, the number one, and this is probably also, I'd say, the best supernatural gimmick of all time, right? Because it's seen so many different iterations. It's got the longevity. He's been around doing the work. I mean, clearly, Giant Gonzalez is, like, the all-time best. Uh, No, no, I'm sorry. uh, The Undertaker, right? I mean, The Undertaker's the top daddy, right? I mean, we just got to get him out of the way in this conversation, isn't he? I, I believe, yes, I believe you're right. And when we actually talk about current wrestling, we'll probably come back to The Undertaker a little bit. But yes, I would definitely think so. 25 years, he's had the original look, the purple look, the face mask look, the Ministry of Darkness look. You know, I don't know your thoughts on when he became the American badass and kind of got rid of the supernatural stuff. I liked it. So yeah, it was other, great. Other people, including NAI's own Bill Neville, hates it, but that's a conversation for a later date. So yes, I think he I do think you have to get him out of the way first because supernatural discussion in wrestling begins and ends with The Undertaker. Absolutely. I mean that original gimmick coming out with Paul Bearer, the urn, and the way he would, you know, Paul Bearer would be on the outside of the ring. Oh yes and he'd raise that urn and the Undertaker after, you know, getting clobbered would just sit up in the ring. When I was a kid, oh man, I ate that stuff up. That was so good. You know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. know if you were a big fan of it or not, but I mean, just that way that he would just have that rejuvenation drawing from the power of the urn. It was, it was I don't know, it was it, so good. It was far better for me than watching Hulk Hogan Hulk up because okay. there was an actual reason for it. Hulk Hogan, you know, I guess supposedly fed off the crowd when he did yeah. that. But, you know, there was this supernatural force, whatever was coming from the urn. I loved it whenever you took the cap off the urn and there oh, was bright light shooting out of it or something like yeah, that. One time there was light. One time there was like a mist that came out of yeah. it. I mean, you know, it's always something different. But one, yeah, of my, one of my favorite matches of all time, despite the fact that it's not even technically a match, is the Boiler Room Brawl, which I believe was SummerSlam 96. Okay. Undertaker, Mankind, and it's the moment where... Paul Bear turns on The Undertaker. Yes. And just the story that was told in that match, specifically at that ending point, 
was just absolutely phenomenal with Taker leaning for the urn and then Paul Bear, I think, hits him with it and, you know, then Mankind has control of the urn, so you're not sure what's going to happen with The Undertaker. I loved all of that stuff. Yeah, no, all that stuff was great. I mean, so, if you, out of curiosity, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Mm. The Undertaker, if you had to pick, you know, from the horror genre or, you know, the supernatural or or, like, the unknown or whatever... If you had to pick, like, an archetype that he fits into, I mean, like, what do you think fits him best? I think if I had to pick something, I would probably go with the living dead or the, you know, he's like this zombie almost like character, especially in those early sort of days when he would just kind of rise up. It seemed like things just couldn't phase him. You couldn't possibly hurt him, you know. I I think a zombie is a good comparison. You know, I was, again, having very little horror movie expertise here. I yep. think that's a good one. You know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, he left. He went out the door. By o- Oscar. Oscar checkup. He went out the door. I watched him. Um, you know, he also had a little bit of, with Paul Bear, with the Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. Ooh, you know, yeah, a little bit. You know, he's being controlled by... Paul Bear, who would be Victor Frankenstein or Frankenstein, depending on how you pronounce it. And, you know, he's got this, you know, he can overcome anything as long as he has the power, which in this case would be the urn, not the lightning or what have you. But um, I would think so. And then I think if we're going to talk about The Undertaker, we also have to talk about his brother. Wait, before we talk about his brother. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. That was a great segue. But you know how I like to run segues. That's fine. All-time favorite Undertaker moment? What would it be? That's a great question. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, you know, spooky supernatural horse crap. I'm not talking oh, about like. Oh, the okay. Best. Well, that's then that's, I'm talking then that's like different. The, the coolest, like you know, Royal Rumble silly thing he was involved in. Royal Rumble '94. Whatever he's wrestling Yokozuna. Oh, and they and put him in the casket? They put him in the casket, and yeah. then you see the camera inside the casket, and then all of a sudden his eyes open. That scared... I had to change my pants. Is that the that same one happened. where all the bad guys come to yes. put him in? Bam and Bam Bigelow, Crush. Rises, yes. Like his spirit rises out yes. above the ring. He's, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. he's in... You see it on the Titan Tron, or what was a Titan Tron back in 94. You see him, he cuts a promo, and then it kind of pulls back... It turns into this, like, black and white negative thing. He rises up, lightning hits it, and then you actually see, supposedly, his body. And that was the, that's the height of yes. wrestle magic right there. I agree. And then that, was, well, that was to, the moment I was thinking of as well, yes. And then it leads to yes. a month-long search to try to find him. They get Leslie Nielsen involved. I remember reading WWF Magazine at the time, and there's pictures of, you know, somebody who is completely dressed in Undertaker garb, like jogging through Central Park. And they're like, is this the Undertaker? You know, there's a guy with who looks like the Undertaker and he's laying on a beach chair somewhere. I mean, I to- totally thought I was going to find the Undertaker in my local, you know, grocery store when I was there with my mom when I was eight years old. I was running up and down, looking down the aisles. I thought for sure I was going to find him in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, it kind of falls apart a little bit when Ted DiBiase brings in... The fake Undertaker, you know, Brian Lee from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I will say, though, I was young enough still that when that happened, like, originally, 
I bought it, man. Like, I was looking at them side by side, like, oh my god, they're identical! Oh no, does he have a twin? What is going on? Like, I, I totally, I know I, he just, like, stood there with his head down, his yeah. hair all in his face. I, but. I bought into it as well until it was whatever, and I think that was also a SummerSlam match. The two of them face to face, and you're like, Mark Calloway is about five and a half inches taller <laughs> than the other guy. Yeah. But, I guess but so. that is, that is to me the ultimate undertaker moment you know he did some other things with in his early days when he's like working in the casket shop or whatever the funeral parlor yeah some good ones paul bear had his own talk show called the funeral parlor that was now i i don't think oh no is paul bear in the hall of fame he is he is yeah he is okay and he should be all right absolutely so our favorite mortician yes that's our favorite undertaker moment so I do think, though, if we're going to talk about The Undertaker, we have to talk about his brother, because just storyline-wise, the two of them go together so nicely. Absolutely. Where does Kane rank to you as a supernatural force? Honestly, he's he's up there as well, you know what I mean? He had a real strong sort of initial introduction, that first reveal with him. Um, I mean, That's like, gotta be Kane! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that stuff, and like, so, I mean, going back to what I asked you about The Undertaker, what sort of archetype do you think that Kane fits into? I know these days they're a fan of calling a big red monster or the demon uh, more recently, but really that original character, the essence of Kane, he's a fire starter, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's a sort of like pyrokinetic sort of, uh, being that just you know has this affinity for fire, and it seems like he could just like light things up out of nowhere. The inferno matches and things mm-hmm. like that. He's um, a fire starter, twisted yeah, exactly. fire like, starter. And, and you still see pieces of that in his character. You know, when he goes in the ring and he brings up his arms and he and he brings up the flames from the four posts. They still have that, even though like the rest of his character maybe that essence is sort of toned down a bit. That fire has been a main through line for him. Uh, I've always thought that was really cool. His pyrotechnics are really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, certainly a cool visual. He's a big guy, again, longevity-wise. Maybe he hasn't climbed the peaks that The Undertaker has. He's hasn't really had any real long title runs to speak of. But, like, I don't know. He's solid, man. For a big guy, he's really good. I've always dug his sort of, you know, unstoppable force character. Um, well, and that's, to me, if you had asked me that, you know, archetype question, he seemed, especially in the early days... He was very much what I would assume, having never seen any of the movies except for, I think, the one where he's in space. He's Jason Voorhees. You know, yeah, he's, 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 going, he's just going to keep coming. You can beat him, you can pin him, you can, you know, bury him alive or put him in an Inferno match, and the next night he'll continue to be there, and he's not going to, you know chase after you. He'll just slowly plot along, knowing eventually he's going to catch up with you kind yeah. of character. Yep, um, no. and, and I, I mean, and for a character who was very plotting, um, and I, I mentioned for a big guy, he could move in his time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's very agile as well. Um, so he always, I always thought for a big guy, he gave rather dynamic and interesting performances in the ring. Mm-hmm. Well, and going back to the undertaker, you know, the undertaker's doing dives over the top rope to the floor. You know, he's walking along the top rope, which I still don't know that I've seen, anyone do that quite as effectively as the undertaker did Mm, absolutely and i but i think you know the reason that taker is the be-all end-all is because looking at my list nobody on this list is going to have a career that even remotely comes close to what Uh, the undertaker had well i mean i think there's a character on there who potential has potential 
a current character. A current character who has potential. Well, and I, think, I think we need to save him for last because that'll okay. be a natural transition into... Absolutely. So I, I, there was one other person who I did mention earlier who I do want to bring up again. Um, as a kid, I thought he was the grossest thing in the world. And you probably are with me on this. I actually do want to talk about Giant Gonzalez. Okay. Um, I, you might question why he's on a list of supernatural characters, maybe. For those of you who don't remember him, he was this giant sort of monster character. It was another just big guy to feed to the Undertaker at WrestleMania. He was this, you know, I don't know, I think it was probably seven feet tall, and he was just I don't I don't think he had any real body type to speak of, so they put him in this bodysuit that had these muscles painted on it and mm-hmm. he was this hairy beast of a man he had this big bushy beard on his face so they kind of like just carried that throughout the costume like they put hair like you know like on his armpits and around his pelvis covering up the bits you know and like the reason why I want to bring him up is because I think very much so you know we're talking about archetypes or supernaturally type things that dude was a sasquatch he was a yeti like you know mm-hmm. what I mean like he was like this wild man primitive lost link sort of thing that just came out of was he managed by Paul Bear? Was that another one that Paul Bear threw against the Undertaker? No. Paul Bear was, was still with the Undertaker. This was in ninety three. This was he was managed by Harvey Whippleman, Whippleman. who's the little skinny guy in yeah, the suit with a hat very much like the one I'm wearing right now. Um but did you get the chance to see the Halloween Havoc with that had the Chamber of Horrors match in it yet? Did that No, I didn't Okay. Not. Is he in there? Giant Gonzalez was a WCW wrestler known as El Gigante or the Giant. Yep. He was seven foot seven, which is the wow. only so he was huge. Um, but he weighed like two hundred and eighty five pounds. So yeah, the reason they built him up with the muscles is because if he came out without all of that, he would have looked ridiculous. He was a string bean, right? I mean he yes. was a complete rail. Yes. So I get why they built him up that way. And I, you know, that was in the time where it was, you know, once or twice a year, you would feed this monster. It would, Yokozuna had that run for a little bit. Um, King Kong Bundy came back to do it. You had Mankind in that role at some point. It was, you know, you would bring these big guys out for Undertaker to wrestle. And could this be the time that the Undertaker loses? And of course, no, it would never happen. And <laughs> Well, until Brock Lesnar came along. Until Brock Lesnar. He was on their list, WWE's list of scariest superstars. He's not on my list because he doesn't fit the supernatural mode, but I can see why people are scared of him. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. We might have in the early days. But uh, do you remember this uh, cartoon show in the, I think it was the late 80s when we were kids, uh, called Street Sharks? No. It was a ripoff of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You should totally Google them, Street Sharks. Look them up. Because there were these these mutant-type characters. They were man-like, anthropomorphic sharks that they, they and the, the thing about them is they have that shark head so like their arms and their shoulders just sort of meld into their shark head like they don't really have any neck to speak of it just goes like straight into their arms and i don't know man look up the street sharks on google neighborhood look it up the, brock lesnar is a living embodiment of the street sharks it is scary i'm assuming you're not watching the cw show the flash i am not they have uh, I believe his name is King Shark. They have the the most end. Sorry, spoiler alert, there, folks. But on the most recent end of the episode, right at the end, uh, the Flash gets grabbed by a man shark. And I do remember this now that I've googled it. I do remember this, and that's what he looks like. He looks like that, only a CGI version. So, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, okay, so moving past that. All right, so, guy... so you you brought up Giant Gonzalez. Yeah. I'm going to bring up another guy from that era. Okay. Who's had a lot of different characters, just like Kane. A lot of different gimmicks over the years. This was not his most popular one, but honestly, when I think supernatural gimmicks, first guy I think of is The Undertaker. Second guy I think of is Papa Shango. Absolutely. So this is Charles Wright, who would go on to be Kama, then Kama Mustafa, then the Godfather, then the Good Father, then the Godfather again. So, again, not his most famous role, but the voodoo priest, you know, again, maybe it's because we were kids at that time. So watching him, you know, have some sort of spell on Ultimate Warrior, who then proceeds to vomit all over, like, the microphone or whatever. I remember that one, like, backstage thing. I think it might be the same promo with the vomit but like the black gunk just like starts running out of the ultimate warriors like hairline like yes. dripping down his face yes. just this absolute gunk warriors it was the scariest thing i think i'd ever seen and like mind you man i've been into horror movies a long time i was watching a nightmare on elm street the original freddy krueger and immediately it was like Saturday afternoon television with all the best parts ripped out of it. But I saw that movie when I was six years old on like Saturday afternoon television. So like I was into horror super early. But like Papa Shango, he scared me as a kid. Mm-hmm. He really did. That was disgusting stuff. I know you look back at it now, it's the goofiest, silliest, ridiculous stuff in existence. But man, you know, hook, line, and sinker, man, I bought that stuff. I ate it up. So here's a question for you. Undertaker had the most successful run, and part of that is the nature of Mark Calloway. But also part of that, I think, is WWF's willingness to commit to that character. Do you think Papa Shango could have had any sort of run more than just a bit player if WWF... Do you think that character could have gotten over in the same way The Undertaker did? Okay. I know you said you probably wanted to save this conversation for the end, but you're bringing it up again. Uh, Bray Wyatt has a lot of similarities to Papa Shango. He has that sort of, and maybe it's because you know he's the southern sort of Cajun sort of influence. And then when I think voodoo, especially in America, again I think of that southern sort of culture mm-hmm. um, around Louisiana, things like that. So maybe that's why I'm drawing the parallels between Bray Wyatt and Papa Shango. But Bray Wyatt does demonstrate some of the wrestling magic sort of things. You know, the hologram, uh, his sort of cult like sway over people. There's there's a certain element, the Sister Abigail stuff. This this there's a certain voodoo ness to the stuff that he does. And, you know, I think the Bray Wyatt character, you know, obviously they've pulled it back a bit. He's more realistic. He doesn't have a skull paint on his face. He's not a cartoon character. But a lot of ca- a lot of the guys in the 80s were cartoon characters. I can't really hold that against Papa Shango. But they've scaled back that character a bit in infusing it into Bray Wyatt. And so you asked me, do I think that Papa Shango could have been more than a bit player? I think making the right choices with that character yes absolutely and I think we're seeing some of that in Bray Wyatt now I think that a lot of what Bray Wyatt may go on to do is a lot of things that Papa Shango maybe could have done um, depending on how they had treated that character okay I think that's fair Um, Bray Wyatt to me is a, a bit of a mixture between there's some Papa Shango elements to it there's obviously some Undertaker elements to it and then there's one other guy from my list that 
seems like an obvious inspiration here. Do you remember Waylon Mercy? Hmm. Remind me. Jog my memory. Waylon Mercy uh, was a guy. He wore a Hawaiian shirt. He had, like, white pants and a white tank top. He had what was supposed to be a tattoo of, like, a dagger on his forehead. That's, that's friggin' some bells. Balding guy. And he would, he would cut this very southern gentleman-type promo... The bell would ring, and he would go from kind. He would like shake the opponent's hand, and then you would see this change overtake him, and he would be this brutal guy, like Festus. Kind of, honestly, there's 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 a little bit of that Festus thing, and then his finisher would be a sleeper hold. The guy would pass out, and he would, you know, yes. I don't remember if he would like cradle him or something, but I kind of remember not that. just, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's not just the shirt inspiration. There's some there's some Waylon Mercy bits I see. In, in Bray Wyatt's character, that kind of, you know, he used to be a little bit more of that, like, charm, trying to be that charming guy who's trying to, you know, convert you to joining him. Now he's kind of scrapped that, which I think is fine. But um, do you want to move on to Bray? Anybody else on your list you want to mention? Oh, man, I got a ton of people on my list. Okay, well, let's keep I mean, going. We can, go, we can come back to Bray. We'll I have a feeling Bray Wyatt. Wyatt's going to pop up a couple more times in this conversation. No doubt. So there's another guy that you've mentioned a couple of times, so I want to give his day in the sun here. Uh, he's had a number of notable feuds with some of the people we've already talked about, and that's Mankind. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about scary sort of characters. I know, obviously, maybe it's not quite as supernatural, but he's got that sort of Hannibal Lecter sort of look to him. Mm-hmm. You've got that sort of the worst of mankind, you know what I mean? Sort of just personified in his you know his early character obviously he became more of a comedic role later on but then you combine that with Mick Foley's just absolute tenacity and his ability to do this death defying you know stunts that is now synonymous with him in his career and again this was a guy who it seemed like you couldn't hurt him obviously that's not the case now you look at Mick Foley the man can barely walk he's got back problems but in the time when he took that fall off that cage and he got back up and he finished that match and then he went on to uh, you know go through the top of the hell the cell structure loses teeth to the chair coming down with them like that guy he wasn't he was he would again personification of all things the worst parts of mankind but at the same time that character was not human you could not stop him. You could mm-hmm. not hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, Here was the scariest part of mankind to me, and it wasn't the mask, and it wasn't that he decided or he wore brown or any of that. And it wasn't even that. We'll talk no? about that. No. Okay. He had two different entrance musics. He yes. had He had the kind of more plodding, eerie music at the beginning of the match and then the entrance was or the exit match it was like classical piano so it was almost yes. like he needed to like calm down and so he was you know he was being led out and then this is and again there's a little bit of festus in that too that Absolutely. this music kind of changes him and calms him you know because i remember reading again in a wwf magazine them talking about you know he was sitting at ringside and he had obviously injured his leg maybe he was wrestling bret hart or something so his leg was hurt and so he took some sort of spike or stick or something and like jabbed at his knee a couple of times and then stood up and it was like he had fixed whatever was wrong and they were talking about how obviously this guy has this intelligent brain 
but he is troubled by whatever it is that's bothering him. So I thought that kind of stuff was spooky. But talk about what you just showed me there, because you're absolutely right. That was also creepy. Yeah, the mandible claw, right? Oh. I mean, that's disgusting. You've got this crazed guy with this leather mask on, this stringy hair, and he's got spittle dripping down his face, and he's got these wrapped up fingers that he's shoving into your mouth. It's just the most disgusting thing in the world. I can't think of anything grosser, really. Do you think that's a finishing move we'll ever see again, or is that a one-time deal? Because I've never seen that with anybody else. I mean, it's got to be the right type of character. And, I mean, honestly, Bray Wyatt could do it. He comes out with those fingers taped up. He does. I've been waiting for him to pull it out, actually. Mm -hmm. Ever since he first debuted, I thought he could do it. Yeah, he's got the thumb taped up. I'm, you know, there's a move called the Asian spike, oh, yeah, which is okay. you take you take your taped thumb and you just basically jab it into the person's neck, and that's supposedly, you know, I don't know what it does besides hurt um, <laughs> or crush your Adam's apple or whatever. Sure, sure. But um, but yeah, that was what freaked me out about mankind. But that's true. That was a, you know, that was. And again, what's so funny about that is when people think of mankind now, they think of the white button-up shirt. They think yes. of the sock, you know, yep. he made millions of dollars taking that gross move, putting a sock on it, yep. and all of a sudden it's everybody's favorite thing in the whole wide world. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, again, the way that that character developed makes Mick Foley one of my all-time favorite performers, uh, you know, in wrestling, period. And obviously we'll never see another talent like Mick Foley, and that's a good thing. They won't let guys mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff anymore. No. But, I mean... That man, you asked me you asked me earlier, I wasn't thinking of this then, but you asked me if anybody else on this list could really have that same sort of, you know, career as The Undertaker. And Mick Foley's the guy out of mm-hmm. the guys who have come and gone. He is never going to be forgotten. I would say, you know, obviously The Undertaker's had a longer career and he's done more, but you want to talk about, like, those moments when you think of wrestling, when you think of the Attitude Era... I think when you think of that Hell in a Cell match and you think of Mick Foley going off that cage, you think of Mick Foley, and I think that's what the majority of people think of. Oh, yeah. And The Undertaker is an afterthought to that equation. Absolutely. Yeah, he was the guy in there with Mankind, but Mankind is the one that you think about. And uh, so, I mean, to some degree, I think Mankind burns brighter than The Undertaker in the history of of WWE, well, but that, the Undertaker's got that, you know, the staying power, the longevity. That's probably, you know, and I, I love this idea of polling a hundred casual fans. That's got to be one of the top five iconic moments. You know, if even if you went and interviewed all of the wrestlers, the WWE roster right now, and said, what's the one moment you remember most distinctly as a wrestling fan? That's probably it, or at least up there. Um, right, you know, I, I bet there's a lot of people who probably wouldn't remember that takers on top of the cell. Right. That's you know what, what I'm I mean? saying. You, know, you, you might you might be like, oh, was he fighting Kane then? Was it Austin? Was it Triple H? You know, maybe Triple H threw him off. Not to take anything against The Undertaker. Again, he's got that longevity. You think like all time. He's got it. But in terms of burning brightest for a moment. Yeah, I think it's Mankind. Yes. No, I agree. Um, Mankind or Cactus Jack, if you had to pick one. They're Doc Manson. Mm. I'm going to go Mankind only because of the progression of the character and my fondness for Wrestle Silly. But Cactus Jack is a force to be reckoned mm-hmm. with as well. Well, and again, you didn't watch WCW. If you watch some of WCW in that 92-93 era when Cactus Jack is there, 
it's it's a little more of the pathetic wrestling silly. You know, mm-hmm. Cactus Jack gets power bombed by Vader on the concrete, develops amnesia, and believes he's a ship captain. This sounds wonderful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna need some some episodes from you. Well, and the problem is a lot of that stuff is not yet on the network. You know, a lot of that story uh, developed on because. In the 90s, before Monday Nitro, WCW Saturday Night was their flagship television program. Right, okay. And so you're so, saying some of this is on that programming? Yes. Uh, yes. You get kind of the recaps of it, but there was this whole thing. There was a whole multiple-week segment of, like, looking for Cactus Jack and going and, like, interviewing people trying to find him that is currently not on there. I'm sure if you YouTube it, you can find it. But, all right, let me see. Let me consult my list here because we've got... Well, I've got one more that we need to talk about. As long as we're talking about WCW, I think we need to talk about him. He was recently in the WWE. Only a couple matches. Maybe he's done forever now. We don't know because of that Seth Rollins injuring guys left and right. Ah, I didn't have... I, I will point out he is not on my list. I think he's one of the big ones that should be on any list. I, I think you're right. I just... I think he's... I don't he think might of him that way. He top three. You know, he might be up there top three. I, I, I still... When I when that name is said to me, I picture bleach blonde hair and brightly yeah. colored face paint. Absolutely. But you're talking... You're talking about Sting. Yeah. The Crow, man. That whole, you know, sort of Crow gimmick there. Uh, again, talking about archetypes now. We're talking about... The returned vengeful spirit. You know what I mean? They talk. They're talking like vigilante now, but you think about like that movie, The Crow, and what that guy was. He was the spirit taking vengeance, risen from the dead, returned to mm-hmm. see something through. You know what I mean? And that is what that sting, that brooding sting, dark character was for a very long time. And you know, man. The, the the wrestle magic that goes around with him as well. I mean, I don't know. You can probably speak more to the WCW stuff, but like when they brought him back in WWE, they had that night. I don't even think Sting was there in the building. They had him talking in a video package. I think on the Titan Tron and Triple H was in the ring, and then just guys in the Sting getup were peering all over the arena like they were flashing the crow sound and like suddenly there'd be a spotlight on a guy on one side of the arena and then boom they'd be on the other side of the arena like he was you know tr- metamorphosizing into these crows and quickly darting across the arena do you remember that night on monday night raw it was amazing i thought it was it was really well done for wrestle magic wrestle silly uh i really liked that a lot i don't remember that but there was this element you know and that was a little bit more I haven't gotten to the Sting Crow part of my WCW quest yet, but from what I remember, you know, there was this whole thing, Hogan turned, and everybody expected Sting to turn. Everybody thought it was going to be Sting, thought it was going to be Sting, thought it was going to be Sting, and then Hogan turns, and now Sting's just mad. He's mad at Hogan, he's mad at the fans, he's mad at everybody, so he kind of just disappears, and you see him up in the rafters with this new face paint on, and then... I think it took a while before he started rappelling down and starting to take vengeance on the NWO, but there's definitely that element to it that, you know, that was there. Yeah, that's so, a great build, right? Yeah, that was just an oversight on my part. I, you know, I wrote down, because I go for those mid-card guys, you know, Gangrel, the wrestling vampire. Oh, yeah, he's on there, too. With the chalice of blood and... Yeah, the vampire architect, That That sure. might be my... What, that's up there in my top five or ten theme songs of all time. The sure. Gangrel Brood, Cold Kirago. That, uh, I love that. Um, you know, I jotted down Kevin Thorne, who was the more modern day. I, I don't think I've ever seen a Kevin Thorne match. That was when I wasn't watching wrestling. And You're not missing very much, I, except for uh, 
his arm candy there. Ariel. Uh, Ariel at the time. Yeah, I mean, you were missing that, but that's about it. So, uh, but, you know, I, let's see. What else do I have? She had an amazing ring entrance, if I recall, where she would just kind of get up there and, like, straddle the top rope and, like, flip over upside down. Um, in terms of, like, the all-time, because that's the thing. I, I don't, you know, the, the, with the divas and the valets where they would have be debuting these entrances. Like, so... Obviously, I think that's one of the most important parts of their characters during that era, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Molina with the split on the Absolutely, apron. you know what I mean? And in terms of, you know, entrances, I mean, that was really unique and interesting. It gave something more to the character So, all right. Well. Interesting to note that we've been having this conversation for probably close to half an hour now. And that's the first woman we've mentioned. Who yeah. is on your list of who would be your top... Supernatural slash spooky female talents. Do you even have? Is there anybody up there? I mean, oh man! I mean, the only ones I can think of that are close, and I don't, I don't know how much I really count them, are maybe like Sensational Sherry because she would occasionally be pretty scary looking, and like Luna Vachon maybe. That's um, that's the top of my list is Luna okay. Vachon. Yeah. And again, it's the it's the you know, she didn't have anything. I don't think she ever had a supernatural gimmick per se. Sure, but but, like but she had she had the, you know, the oddly shaved head, the face paint on one side. You know, she walks out there with Bam Bam Bigelow as mm. a, you know, that's a scary pair right there. Um, Absolutely. Another one I'd mention is Bull Nakano, who was a Japanese women's wrestler. Oh, yeah, okay. Hair that, you know, shot straight up again, face paint. But again, I don't think she ever did anything particularly spooky in WWF, but... But now, Luda definitely haunted my dreams as a child. That was a scary woman. Well, especially when you heard that her finishing move in the independence, you know, they had the head claw. Yeah, uh-huh. And they had the stomach claw. Uh Uh-huh. That's not what she did, because she wrestled you? men, and she would go a little lower in a claw, and, you know, I... Su- the testicular I, claw. I submitted, and I wasn't even in the building, let alone the match, <laughs> and I just sent a formal letter to WWF saying, Dear WWF, I submit. Thank you. Yep, it's over. Young DC Matthews. So, all right. Um, so what do you think about uh, another guy, another older guy? I got a ton on this list, I told you. Okay, good. Um, let's keep going. I, I don't really know, again, necessarily if you would consider this supernatural, but I do consider parts of his career pretty dark, and um, certainly his feud with The Undertaker, I think, gets maybe the closest. But uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Again, I wouldn't go with the supernatural, but he had that, you know... But he was working with fear, you know what yes, I mean? Yes, he, 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 he was a very psychological sort of wrestler, and he, he always seemed to try to figure out what scared, what his opponent was afraid of, and he mm-hmm. worked that in there. He tried to play mind games. And yep. for that reason, I consider him on this list because of the way he used fear as part of his character. Nope, I would, I would agree. I would agree. And he was certainly terrifying, you know, just yes. the way he cut promos. You know, he didn't, there was no, very different. you know, he was not effusive with his promos. It was just very calm. And he talked like this and he talked very low Yes, and he, he didn't, he didn't, um, when people, when wrestlers go out in the ring and they're out there, you know, they're shouting and they're being, they, they, they're, they're trying to demand your attention. You know what I mean? They're trying to say, Hey, look at me, pay attention to me. 
Jake Roberts, when he cut a promo, that low voice, that, that talking, you're just going to listen to every single word that mm-hmm. I have to say. He did not demand your attention. He commanded it. Yep. He, all eyes and ears were on him. Mm-hmm. He just had a way of working that microphone in a crowd. My students, and I try not to get this way often, but my students figure out when I'm really upset about something is I go all Jake Roberts on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not shouting, I'm not slamming doors or anything, but when my voice gets quiet and I take a little bit of pause in between, like I'm choosing my words carefully, they tend to realize that something's about to happen. Yeah. So, you know, um, I would be remiss. Magnum and a whole bunch of other old school fans would scold me if I didn't mention Kevin Sullivan. Are you at all familiar with Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster? I've heard the name tossed around. I can't say I've seen much of the work, though. Um, he was, you know, he was leader of the Dungeon of Doom. But even before this, we're talking, you know, in the early '80s down in Florida, he did a whole satanic gimmick where, you know, like he. He there's a promo I think at a beach and he's channeling this monster the purple haze to come out of the ocean to uh, you know help him you know so he had a, definitely that supernatural stuff even before the undertaker a lot of these guys are all you know versions of the undertaker that didn't work Kevin Thorne Mordecai Key all of these guys I don't remember actually I think Mordecai and Kevin Thorne are the same person yep. um but um I actually so, liked the Mordecai gimmick. I thought it was stronger. I remember that. around for like a week or two. Yeah, so. I remember that, and it seemed to be an interesting antithesis to The Undertaker. It would, that yes. struck me as something. But by that point in The Undertaker's career, he wasn't, you know, he didn't need new big monster guys. To, you know, he was too busy fighting Shawn Michaels, fighting Triple H, fighting Ric Flair at that point of his career. Yeah. Um, a couple uh, honorable mentions. We sure. haven't talked about them. Eric Rowan, Luke Harper. I mean, you want to talk about that hillbilly sort of, you know, beef stroganoff haunt? You're always going to see a hillbilly section. Beef stroganoff. Yeah, I'm. Yep. Nowadays, beef stroganoff too. Um, Kamala. I mean, I know maybe not too much supernatural, but he had the face mm-hmm. painted up. You could have believed he was a cannibal yep. or something. Um, I mean, Ming slash Haku. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, especially I'm, I'm waiting to get to this point in WCW where he, because right now his hair is, you know, gelled and slicked back. At some point, he just lets it go full Samoan Afro or mm. Tongan, Tongan Afro. Umaga is another good one. Absolutely. The head shrinkers in general. Yep. Absolutely. Um, we talked about Gangrel. Did you mention Vampiro at all? I did not mention Vampiro because he's not someone up until, you know, the most I've seen of him is Lucha Underground. So. Okay. And apparently, you know, he's got some good things. I didn't finish season one of Lucha Underground, but he and Pentagon Jr. have some interesting back-and-forth <laughs> spooky stuff going on. Uh, let's and see. there's one person, you said you were up about the mid-carters, who we haven't mentioned yet. And I think, you know, in terms of saying, you know, maybe not having the most long or storied career, but in terms of burning bright and having moments that people remember... You know I'm talking about the man who's going to get you. The boogeyman. The boogeyman. I'm not sure what archetype he falls into. Um, If I had to say, uh, maybe it'd be the boogeyman. I don't know. But, I mean, he's got that face paint. He's missing the teeth. He reminds me of, like, he's one of the random creatures in Jabba the Hutt's palace. Yes. And isn't he still employed? 
He still pops up from time to time. I think so. I think he's still, he's either signed a Legends deal. Which is weird, because how can you consider him a Legend? He was only around for a couple years. Like was he even around for a year? I'm pretty sure. Know. I'm pretty sure any alumnus can qualify for a legends deal. So yeah, fair enough. Um, I've got Abdul the Butcher, another name you're not going to oh, yeah. know too well, but no, know, yeah, he's going to show up in that Chamber of Horrors match. Uh, Sabu, uh, you know, not necessarily the t- same kind of terrifying. It's fine. Not necessarily the same kind of terrifying. Uh, there was a wrestler on the Independence who was Leatherface, complete with chainsaw and nice. apron and things. <laughs> Um, let me think. You remember when the boogeyman ate that thing off of Jillian Hall's face? No, because thankfully I wasn't watching at that point. Yeah, it was, it was, oh man, it was terrible. That's, That's all I want to say about that. Uh, Midian, if we're talking Ministry yeah. of Darkness, okay. Midian yep. before and after Naked Fanny Pack Midian, you know, Viscera. Uh. That's what I was thinking of. I couldn't think of his name. That's right. Yes. Mabel with the big black coat yep. and, you know, um, the Acolytes. Yep. Both went up. Well, I suppose Farouk didn't go on to bigger and better things besides saying one word over and over but, again. But I mean, so, I mean, oh, and, and you weren't watching the new ECW, but they literally had a guy called the zombie. Did they really? They did. He was literally a zombie. He came out to the ring. Uh, zombie shuffle, what lies? Uh, I believe the uh, Sandman's music hits. He comes down. He beats the living crap out of this guy with his kendo stick, and I think that was the last time we saw the zombie. I just had another one, and now I lost it. Oh, it's going to bother me. (laughs) We're talking about the zombie, ECW. Nope, it's gone. It's gone? Thank God. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, again, so, I mean, if you had to pick one, all ah, time. Doink the clown. Doink the clown. Oh yeah, we'd be remiss. Evil Doink. That was Evil actually- Doink with the twin with the with the twin magic and the arm that came like that was awesome. And I mean, you know, legitimately, people are afraid of clowns. Yes, man. Even like happy go lucky clowns, people are frightened. And so when you've thought about this sinister, you want to talk about all time like greatest like uh, theme music. When they took that 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 clown music and they turned it dark, it was that was so. I can remember being creeped out by that as a kid, and I've really never had a problem with clowns, but that creeped me out. That really did. Yeah. Then he went and became just the comedic clown and had midgets with him, and it all went downhill from there. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, that was a good era for that character, for sure. All right. Which brings us, speaking of clowns, back to Bray Wyatt. Absolutely. And so let's actually, as we are approaching the hour mark here on DDT Wrestling, let's talk about Bray Wyatt, or let's talk about Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt has had a very interesting week in his career. He did not win his Hell in a Cell match versus Roman Reigns, but that didn't seem to matter because Hell in a Cell ended with the Wyatt family abducting the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. In a very, you know, we haven't seen that kind of wrestle magic y kind of thing in a while, and there wasn't a whole lot of magic to it, but you don't often see abductions in today's PG era. Uh, nope. On Monday Night Raw, they abducted Kane. I don't know if they abducted anybody on SmackDown. I haven't watched SmackDown yet. Yeah, but an, an, an interesting th- uh, couple of days there for Bray Wyatt and his family. Your thoughts, Doc, on. Let's deal with just the abductions and where you think this is going 
with Undertaker Kane? Are we going to see some brainwashing? Is it just going to go nowhere? What I your think, thoughts? I think they're going to disappear for a while. I think the the Wyatt family are going to uh, be a force to be reckoned with for a little while. At least that's what I hope. And then eventually, I think we're going to see the family versus the brothers. Mm. Um, we're going to see United Front return, and we're going to see the brothers' destruction uh, have some sort of match against the Wyatt family. I imagine it will be some sort of handicap situation, because I don't think you get anybody to help the Brothers of Destruction. Uh, and I don't really know necessarily where it goes from there, but I think I've mentioned do you, before... Do you think that's going to be a WrestleMania 32 thing? Do we see that before then? I mean, I would think maybe WrestleMania 32, but with all the talk about Undertaker retiring, like I just... Do you go out on that note? Do you go out on a tag team match? I just I don't know. Like if if that does happen at WrestleMania, I can't see that being the end of the Undertaker's career, but at the same time he's got to be close to the end. You know what I mean? Like he can't have that much left in his tank. Um I mean he's been wrestling a lot recently, but the last 5 years he's been wrestling a match a year and that's and that's it. You know what I mean? This is a guy who for all sense and purposes looks like he's He's done, and by all means, he's had that long storied career we were just talking about. If anybody deserves to retire and go on live uh, happily with his, with all the all of the fame and fortune and plunders that he's managed to get from the business, it's it's you know it's it's the Undertaker. Um, mm-hmm. So I just don't know if I see that as being his final WrestleMania moment. So maybe it comes sooner than that. And let's face it, I mean the WWE doesn't like to run with long term storylines anymore, anyways. No. So and, having and, the Wyatt family run, you know, run the division for a while at the top there, I don't, I can't really see that actually happening. So well, and it's interesting because I would normally agree with you. Like this would be the perfect way to take the two of them off TV for a while, and then whether or not you bring them back, you know, I don't know whether or not they're going to try a brainwashing angle of any kind. You know, this is the same company where Kane abducted Seth Rollins and dragged him under the ring only to have Seth Rollins escape the second they turned the cameras off. Like, you could have done something with that. Um, But they're pushing Survivor Series as the 25th anniversary of The Undertaker. You know, all of the Survivor Series promos I've seen are all about Taker. I have to assume he's there in some form or fashion. So I don't know if maybe they're going to try to, you know, come up with some way of explaining that the Wyatts have converted Undertaker and Kane. Are they now members of the Wyatt family? I, you know, on one yeah. hand, on one hand, I have a hard time seeing that. But on the other hand, if Kane and the Undertaker somehow escape in the next three weeks before Survivor Series or however long it is, letdown, right? That's a letdown. Yeah, I mean, you would want to believe that they've got them captured somewhere, and then now Bray Wyatt is drawing off of the essence of the Brothers of Destruction and making himself more powerful in that in that only that way that Wrestle Magic allows. You know what I mean? And that's why I say, like, you know, have him run the division for a little bit, but at the same time, is Bray Wyatt as that evil character? Is he really gonna be at the main event? Is he gonna face Seth Rollins? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so what is he going to do? Dance with Roman Reigns? That doesn't make sense. Uh, they they just said that that's on hold for a little bit, right? Basically, that's what he said in his promo on Monday night. So since Bray Wyatt just took out Undertaker and Kane, and Undertaker and Kane ostensibly have no allies in the WWE, they have no one to feud with, right? The Wyatt family are currently 
are feud less. They've just taken out the two guys on the roster whom they were involved with in any way. They've set down what they were doing with Roman Reigns. It doesn't make sense for him to feud with Seth Rollins. So unless Undertaker and Kane come back right away, what the hell else is Bray Wyatt and the family going to do, right? I guess they kind of have to bring back Undertaker and Kane right away. But you're right. I mean, it's this wonderful setup for something that it seems like they've written themselves into a corner. There's nothing for them to do except bring back Undertaker and Kane right away. Right? I'm reading the SmackDown spoilers. Okay. The the Wyatts had a six-man tag against Cesaro, Ryback, and Dean Ambrose. And apparently, the Wyatts tried to abduct Ryback... But somehow Ryback escaped. Well, Ryback is clearly more powerful than both The Undertaker and Kane combined. There's the, And I saw somebody set a rumor out, I don't remember where it was, whether I saw it online or somebody tweeted it at me, that this was going to happen. It was going to be Undertaker, Kane, Ryback, and then possibly one other person taking on the Wyatts. And I was like, what are you trying to do to the Ryback character to put him, putting him anywhere near Undertaker and Kane? Honestly, what I want them to do with the Ryback character is to take the microphone away from him. Give him that Terminator cyborg-esque sort of unstoppable machine gimmick that he kind of had before he debuted on the main roster. And just let him be that, that emotionless sort of machine character for a while. And you could totally get that from, you know some time with Undertaker Kane. I don't know how they transitioned the character to get there. I, there's no way to do that without it just happening, like with snapping the fingers, I don't think. But I mean, like, you could totally see him working personality-wise with the Undertaker and Kane if, you know, they adapted the mm-hmm. character in that way. So are we going to see Bray, Luke, Rowan, Stroganoff versus Kane, Undertaker, Ryback, and Dean Ambrose. Is that the four-on-four Survivor Series match that we're getting where Dean Ambrose is once again that kind of afterthought tossed I, I told in? you before, it doesn't... I don't... I see it being a handicap situation. I don't know why on earth you would put anybody with Kane and Undertaker. Like, I understand I th- I think we're wanting get... to build new stars. Like, I get that. But do those guys really fit? No. But I, I think we're going to get that. I think at some point we're going to see the Brothers of Destruction versus the Wyatt family in, like you said. But maybe that's TLC in some sort of gimmick match. Maybe that's at the Royal Rumble or something. Because I do think this is the Undertaker retirement tour. When you're wrestling live events in Mexico for no explicable reason, like, you're on your way out, you're trying to enjoy one last ride, pardon the pun, before you're done. So I do think we'll see him Survivor Series, maybe the Rumble heading into WrestleMania. But I, I, right, I think that has to happen. I don't think Undertaker's last match is a tag match. As, right. mu- as closely as Undertaker and Kane's careers are lined up, they can't go out together. I mean, the only thing that you might say is there might be something sort of poetic in coming full circle, right? The Undertaker debuted where? Survivor Series. And that was a tag match, right? Where he was just one guy. Like, like I said, there's there's a certain degree of poetic license, a sort of, sort of appeal to me ending his career the way he came in. But 
I mean, after everywhere he's been and everything he's done, I just don't know that that's the deserving way to go out. Mm. It's it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing. I don't think this is it. I don't think he he goes out on his 25th anniversary, you know. If this had been WrestleMania and the Wyatt family had just carted Taker's body out, I would have almost been happy if that had been it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? The Wyatts take him out. You know, Bray Wyatt absorbs some sort of power. It's a fantastic way of passing the torch to a new guy. He wasn't even involved in the match, necessarily. I mean, Undertaker could have won that match against Lesnar, and it wouldn't have mattered. The Bray, well, the Wyatt family still could have come out, did what they did, and carried him off. And mm-hmm. if that had been the last we ever saw of Undertaker, and we just sort of assumed that that power was subsumed into Bray Wyatt, like, that's a fantastic moment, passing the torch. I told you before, Bray Wyatt can't succeed in this company until the Undertaker is gone mm-hmm. for good. And that would have been a great way for them to transition into yep. Bray Wyatt's character being a main eventer. You could even have Bray Wyatt come out, you know, whenever he's done, you could have the Wyatt family come out, but instead of beating him down, Bray drops to a knee, you know, doing the position, the, that pose of honor that is so iconically Undertaker's, they cart him out, you know, almost like, you know, getting ready for that kind of Viking funeral kind of thing where they cart yep. the body off, and then that's it. So, it's interesting. I'm excited to see what happens. I liked that Roman Reigns-Bray Wyatt cell match a whole lot. I actually preferred it to the Taker-Brock one. I thought the Taker-Brock one was brutal, but I didn't think it was as compelling as what Bray and Roman did. Do you You agree or disagree? Man. Sorry, you just said something there that I just want to touch on again. We're talking about The Undertaker. This was a guy who, when he won his first heavyweight title, he was that dead man character where he couldn't even, like... You know, obviously you win the title on a big stage and you want to, like, celebrate. You know what I mean? But because of the character, he kind of just had to go into his poses and do the dead man thing. And, you know, you don't really get that same sort of celebratory moment that other guys get. Again, talking about what's poetic, talking about what makes a certain degree of sense, that Viking funeral idea for The Undertaker, him just being carted out, and that's it. That's the end of it. I mean, when guys retire, you're used to thinking of Ric Flair's or Shawn Michael, where they get that moment on that stage, and there's a big celebratory thank you, whatever chance going on in the crowd. Like, for The Undertaker, like, just going off into the night... Like, that is so appropriate for where that character has been mm-hmm. that I would almost be disappointed to see anything else. No. Like, if this was it for Undertaker, legitimately, if that was it, that's the last time we saw The Undertaker on WWE television was Hell in a Cell being carted out by the Wyatt family right now, I would not be disappointed with the end of his career. No. I would tell you that is a fantastic end no. for that mechanic. And, I, and I'm sure, I do, you know, in another way, Druid's coming down with a, yes. cas- with a casket, putting the Undertaker, you know, because you're going to get thank you taker chance no matter what. You got him at Hell in a Cell. Um, putting him in the casket, shutting the door, you know, then they walk him up the ramp and, you know, maybe lightning strikes one last time and, like, the casket disappears and some, you know... I want to see his spirit ascend to the rafters again. We already saw that. Come on! 
and they're not going to ascend anybody. Now, it'll be a hologram. We'll see a hologram of The Undertaker, okay. you know, flying across the building. You know, one <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Time. So, all right, but back to the cell matches. Yeah. Which was your favorite? And I know it was a week ago. I'm going to go with Taker, Lesnar. Why? I appreciate what they did. And, again, I have a hard time caring about the other match. Um, Bray Wyatt, I want to like Bray Wyatt a lot, but his promos never say anything. Even when he came out on Monday to explain what he had done to The Undertaker, the one cohesive moment of that promo was when he said, when he addressed Roman Reigns and said, oh, we will dance again. But outside of that, I challenge you to try to listen to his words for the full length of that promo and tell me what he said. Because he has this way of just going on and not saying anything. And even when you're trying to listen to him, your brain just can't do it. It just slips. And then suddenly you come back and it's like, oh, I missed everything that he said because there's just no way to actually pay attention to him. At least that's my my issue. And I, I don't know, man. Like, Bray Wyatt... I have trouble getting invested in the character because I can never understand his motivations. And Roman Reigns is just Roman Reigns, and I could care less about Roman Reigns. So they gave a great match. It was a strong performance. They did some fun stuff, I guess. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, the, the motivation just wasn't there for me. And I think I'm looking at it just in terms of the match. Because I think Bray's Wyatt's gotten better on the mic. But I, but I do think he tends to ramble a little bit. On Monday, rambling was there in full force. And I don't know if that's what he or somebody else thinks the part of the character needs to be, that he's so kind of wackadoo that he's not going to make a cohesive point. He's going to try to, like, dance around the point. I loved what he did with Roman. I thought that was perfection. But because after that cell match, I'm like, I want to see them wrestle again. And we've seen them wrestle a whole bunch of times, but... I thought the match itself was great. I thought they were way more creative, you know, outside of bleeding, which we'll talk about in a minute, and Brock Lesnar deciding to pull the ring apart, which was interesting because now everybody knows that there's some small amount of padding under there. Yeah. I don't understand. I didn't see anything that they did that was particularly, you know. It was a brutal match. That's all it was. But you could have had that match without the cell. Yeah, sure. They could have bled because... Taker bled because I think uh, Brock was punching him. Brock bled, apparently, because he got thrown into the ring post. You don't need the cell. You know, the Bray and Roman... Honestly, with Taker, you knew you weren't going to get any cell, extreme cell situations. No. And I'm I'm personally glad nobody climbed the cell. I didn't need to see any of that. I'm tired of people climbing the cell. Exactly. Like I told you, nobody's ever going to do what McFoley did again. We got close to it last year when Rollins and Ambrose took a dive halfway up on the side. But like you compare that in your mind. I know there's always a new fan who's never seen the old stuff before, but you can't live up to that moment. So just don't. Just don't no. try. Do something else. No. I thought Bray and Roman were a little more creative with the weapons. You know, I, for whatever reason, Roman but having... at the same time, I mean, okay, you're talking about, do you really need the cell? Majority of what they did was they pulled a kendo stick out and beat each other to death with them for a while. Like, you don't need the cell for that. No. That's probably true. But they still... I thought there was more of a story being told with the two of them 
that was more creatively done than with Brock and Undertaker, where it was just like, let's just pound each other. Yeah, sure. You know, besides the bleeding and the pulling apart of the ring, I didn't see a great difference between that match and their SummerSlam match. Well, Bray, I think Bray and Roman def- did very different things. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but I mean, you got these two guys are strikers. The matches are going to be similar. They did what they could do in the cell and, and pulling apart the ring. And bleeding, you say, I didn't see much different other than that. But that is what makes this match different from the earlier match. This was a grudge match. This was like supposed to be the end of a feud, right? This is the one where you pull out all the stops. Ripping up the apron of the ring and exposing the wood and like actually like taking a, a dive onto that thing and showing like, oh yeah, I'm here to hurt this guy. The bleeding reinforces that. Like that's a story. They're telling accumulation of the story and they're underscoring it with these points that you're just writing off, but it's what makes that match different than what came before it. And it's what actually concludes possibly their feud. So, you know, they, I think they, they did exactly what they could do to up the ante in that situation, given some of their physical limitations. Now that said, yeah, Bray, Roman, they're younger guys. They can do more. There was some creative use of weapons. Uh, The way that, you know, Bray put the chair into the ring, the way he grabbed it at one point and looked like he was going to use it, but he just sat in it. Like there were some real good moments there. Creative. They told like, yeah, absolutely. You're right. They did do some great work in that match that probably doesn't touch creativity wise what Lesnar and Taker were doing but I think they both told good stories I mean I don't know just different was the blood accidental or intentional in your opinion um I have no doubt that they bled the hard way but it was intentional they went out there intending to make each other bleed for sure. I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't think anybody bladed, but maybe they did. But I mean, you know. I, I saw a couple of frames where they were trying to show where it happened. I didn't see that a whole lot. Yeah, on there. I think more likely they just did it the hard way. And yeah. that's fine. Well, for two guys like that, I'm sure they have no problem saying, all right, I want you to punch me in the head until I bleed. So right. um, I I get what you're saying, and you're right. That was a definitive. It was brutal, no doubt. And it definitely kind of wrapped up and ended the story between Brock and Taker, which is what I really wanted out of that. But for my money, I just enjoyed Roman versus Bray more. Roman kind of drumming the kendo sticks as he's kind of stalking after Bray. I think at one point, they put the kendo sticks, like, sticking out, point end out of them, the turnbuckles, and I'd never seen that before. I'm like, they're going to kill somebody with this thing. Yeah. So I thought that was good. Um, We got a question. From our good friend Tyler at MoTWWE, and kind of moving off of this to Roman Reigns a little bit, is Roman Reigns the right guy to take the belt off of Seth Rollins? And if so, is Survivor Series the right time? Now, we don't know whether or not that match is actually taking place at Survivor Series. I think the assumption is that it is. But what do you think about Roman Reigns being the number one contender? We're kind of transitioning into Raw here, so not as good of a segue as I could have probably done. But uh, Roman wins the number one contendership at Monday Night Raw. What are your thoughts on him moving forward? So, Monday Night Raw. They had those series of matches to determine who was going to be in 
the Fatal 4-Way. Yes. And then they had the Fatal 4-Way as well. Yes. Now, could you list the participants in that Fatal 4-Way for me? Sure. Dolph Ziggler, Kevin Owens, Alberto Del Rio, and Roman Reigns. Okay, so let's take a step back here for a moment. And let's say that you're a writer for a television program, and your job is to try to... Um, you know, write a compelling piece of television where perhaps there's a competitive contest where, oh man, it really looks like anybody could win. There's going to be some tension here. And, oh man, anything could happen. I want, it's going to be a big surprise at the end when we name our new number one contender. And then, let's say you put together a match that involves two guys who are so solidly in your mid-card that they are your mid-card champions. Then you throw in a guy who hasn't done anything relevant in years. Sorry, Dolph. And you put those three guys up against Roman Reigns, the guy who you've been pushing to be the next big thing in the company for years now. And do you think that's compelling television? Was there ever any doubt in your mind that any of those guys had a chance against Roman Reigns in that match? Did you really think you were going to see Kevin Owens? Did you really think you were going to see Dolph Ziggler? Did you really think you were going to see the returning Alberto Del Rio facing Seth Rollins for that title? I didn't. I thought that was garbage writing. What do you think, DC? Yes. I believed for a second, for a couple of minutes, that maybe Kevin Owens or maybe Alberto Del Rio... We're going to get the shot. If it wasn't for the fact that Michael Cole was basically just spoiling it for everyone anyways by talking, you know, just the way he was talking about Roman Reigns, he was all but saying, Roman Reigns is going to be the guy. Roman Reigns is going to be the guy. And I totally get what you're saying. You watch the four of them walk out there and you're like, okay, 85% chance it's Roman Reigns that's going to win this. 10% 10% chance it's Alberto Del Rio because he's a returning superstar. and But they mu- just put that mid-card title on him. We've just spent the last few months watching the U.S. champion fighting the world champion. Yeah, I, and that worked out so well, didn't it? I'm just saying. I could have seen that. It worked out so well that when John Cena defended that championship against Alberto Del Rio at the pay-per-view, the announcers talked about it as though John Cena had been holding that title since the original time that he won it. They completely glossed over the fact that he had just really won it back from Seth Rollins uh, recently. They, said, they, they talked about his title reign as a, as a single continuous reign, completely glossing over the fact that we even saw that feud with Seth Rollins. Yes, I noticed that. I noticed that. So, but yes, I believed that Alberto Del Rito had a chance. Del Rito. Dorito. Alberto Dorito. <laughs> I love Doritos. And I even thought, you know what? You've got time to kill. Like, this is, you know, we're not yet on the road to WrestleMania. We're on the road that leads to the road that leads to the road to WrestleMania. This is the time of year where you can have fun. So I'm like, maybe they'll say, you know what? Let's give it to Kevin Owens. Let's have Survivor Series have a Kevin Owens-Seth Rollins match a lot of people's heads are going to explode with joy at that. Seth Rollins doesn't need to, you know, lose. Seth Rollins beats Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is still your Intercontinental Champion. He got a main event thing. I could see them talk themselves into that. 
The only guy that didn't belong there was Dolph Ziggler. I thought, and I think the pre-match was Ziggler versus Big E Langston. I would have loved to see a member of New Day in sure. that match. I thought that would have been a lot of fun. Um, but you're right. It was kind of, it was very basic writing. Yeah. Where where you could put all the pieces together pretty much as soon as as soon as Roman and Seth Rollins had a face to face at the beginning of the show, you knew what was going to happen at the end of the show. I can exactly exactly, and that's and that's another thing, right? You have this opening to the show where the only guy who comes out to talk to Seth in the ring mm-hmm. was Roman Reigns. Did you, did you really think any of these other random participants, like I mean, you know what I mean? They're they're, they're just. They're not writing any tension into their storylines. They're just... So, besides one other guy, though, I can't think of another person... Well, I was about to say that. I was about to say that. You're right. I there can't think nobody, of another they've person. They've themselves into a corner. There is nobody on the roster who makes sense to feud against Seth Rollins anymore. Yeah, there's I, no men event anymore. There's, there's no, no main event scene. There's only one person who I thought you could have put into that Fatal 4-Way that would have possibly caused some debate... And that's Dean Ambrose. Correct. He's the only other guy. And and, and it doesn't make sense storyline-wise, because wh- what I liked about Raw was I've never seen that idea before, that the winners from Hell in a Cell get placed in matches, and you have almost a little mini tournament to determine the number one contender. I thought that was great. I thought sure. that was a great idea. But the problem is, when Dean Ambrose isn't even on the card, he didn't wrestle at Hell in a Cell. He didn't wrestle on Raw, to the best of my knowledge. He's now a SmackDown guy because he's Roman Reigns' towel boy. I mean, what what are they doing with Dean Ambrose, man? That's why I think he could wind up getting thrown into some program with the Wyatts again because where does Bray go from here? Well, he hasn't fought with Dean Ambrose in a while, so they you know might as well doing? fight again. They know that Dean Ambrose was popular with the crowd. They resented that because they were trying to build Roman Reigns. And now they're doing everything they can to squash Dean Ambrose, but still keeping him associated with Roman Reigns. So whatever good feelings he happens to generate with the crowds, they hope get transferred mm-hmm. onto Reigns. I mean, that's about the only interpretation <coughs> I can possibly see for what they're doing with this character. They're they're involving him in not even a mid card feud. He's doing nothing. He's literally just sitting in the locker room telling Roman Reigns that he did a good job. Yes. Like, what are you doing? The only thing that I can see here, and again, this is probably way too fantasy, is if you're planting the seeds for an eventual heel turn, Dean Ambrose now has all the motivation he needs. Yes. You know, you got to get, you got this, you got this, you got this. What did I do? I sat in the back and I watched you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm tired of being your cheerleader. I'm tired of being your wingman, your towel boy. I'm taking what I want. And if I have to go through you to get it, so be it. And I thought you could have started that if Dean Ambrose had found his way into that fatal four-way match. Because then all of a yes. sudden, now it's no longer cut and dry. Because mm-hmm. now you have, maybe it could be Ambrose. Because we've seen Ambrose and Rylands fight a bunch. Maybe it could be Reigns. And if you had had Del Rio and Ziggler, or Del Rio and Owens, rather, not Ziggler, then maybe, you know, or if you threw in a guy like Cesaro in there somewhere, and I know he had to lose to Kevin Owens again for reasons that defy description, but that would have made a little bit more sense to me than that. But having said that, let's get back to the question at hand here. 
Uh, do you think Roman Reigns being the number one contender results in him winning the World Heavyweight Championship? Yes. Does he win it now at Survivor Series? I have no idea. But, I mean, the writing's on the wall. He's winning that title sooner or later. And probably sooner rather than later. And see, I don't... But I'm guessing it's going to be at WrestleMania. That's my, that's my thought, too, is... The only, well, yeah. The only thing that they might be doing is because they know there's a large proportion of the audience that has a negative reaction to him now, they might try to test the waters by having him have a short title reign first. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then that way, it takes a little bit of the heat off when he wins again at WrestleMania. Maybe. Um, he doesn't quite look so much like the golden boy winning his first title on the biggest stage of all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's his second title run. So, they, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I really think about things that way, but I well, can see that maybe. I, I can totally see that too, except the one problem I'll say, I'll have with what you just said, is I don't think a lot of people are as negative about Roman Reigns as you just indicated. You know, Roman Reigns was. <laughs> was listen to the crowd. You listen to on the crowd. Monday co- night. I mean, it's the it's John Cena syndrome, okay? You hear the women and the children cheering for Reigns, and you hear, you know, the deep voice sort of largely male proportionates booing him. They go back and forth. He gets the exact same split reaction that Cena does. Well, then if he gets the same split reaction than John Cena does, why is WWE going to care? Their biggest superstar they don't. is John Cena. Correct, and, and that's it. They don't care. They are going to push him. He is going to win that title. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it, but the writing's been on the wall, yes. and they are totally going to put that belt on him. And so, I mean, even like you just said, it would be interesting television maybe to see Dean Ambrose mixed in there, but frankly, I don't need to see it because I know how that story ends. It ends with Dean Ambrose not winning the title because Roman Reigns is the golden boy from The Shield. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're in this weird position right now where Seth Rollins has been the champion for a long time and he's really good, but I don't think they ever planned on him being champion this long. I think they thought they were going to transition onto Roman Reigns a lot quicker, but then they've decided to take the long approach with Roman Reigns instead. Mm -hmm. I think that they kind of just serendipitously ended up with Rollins in the position that he's in. Well, and I think the slow burn, the long way, as you put it, is the best thing for Roman Reigns because... I don't listen to the crowd as much. I've got my eye on social media. And a lot of the people who were so down on Roman Reigns in January at the Royal Rumble, in February at Fastlane, in March at WrestleMania, are slowly turning around on Roman Reigns. And they're like, okay, you know, we've seen enough. He's built up. He's improved in certain areas. I'm still not a big fan of his promos, but he's improved in certain areas. My problem with Roman Reigns is that Everything about him is paint by the numbers. Yes, he's improving, and he's improving incrementally, and you can see that. But you look a little to the left, because that's where Dean Ambrose is sitting in his chair, and you see a guy who is ready, and they're just sitting on him doing nothing, and that's what infuriates me. Reigns is getting better. He's earned... He's earned it. My big problem at WrestleMania was this was a guy with no singles career that you were pushing to your big title on the biggest stage of them all. That didn't make any sense. He didn't deserve it even from a storyline perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty now, sure I'm pretty now, sure that if you I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but at WrestleMania I think he had had 25 or less singles matches on television and then here he is challenging for the title. Correct. Continue. And and, and 
now, yeah, they've gotten him to the point where he's now had this singles career. But, okay, I still have the same fundamental problem. He's improved. Yeah, he now has more of a singles career. But you tell me something that he has accomplished as a singles wrestler. What has he really done? He's feuded with Bray Wyatt a whole lot. And Bray Wyatt, I like Bray I want to like Bray Wyatt, but he doesn't matter. Okay? Uh, they, they, they downplay Bray Wyatt because The Undertaker's been around. He's not some, like, top-level heel. He doesn't have any belts. He hasn't been feuding for a championship. He ha- has, has Roman Reigns ever held Intercontinental or U.S. championships? Not that that really matters, because all it does, as I just said earlier, is cement you as a mid-card guy. But, but what has he done? And like I told you, there is no main event anymore. Where are all the guys that are supposed to be in the main event scene? You don't even have that gatekeeper of John Cena because he was a solid mid-card guy for a long time now, last six months. Um, who do you have in the main event that you can have anybody work with, never mind Roman Reigns, who do you have there that anyone can work with to get that rub to where they feel like a main event guy? And I think maybe that's part of my problem with with Roman Reigns. It's not Roman Reigns himself, because again, he is improving, but who has he faced to earn his spot in the main event? Nobody! Because the, And again, that's a problem with the product, because when you think about it, who is the main event right now? Who? Can you name can can you name for me who is in the main event scene of the WWE right now? Seth Rollins and John not, Cena. But I even and, and like I said, they, they they at least in my opinion, there's a quandary there with John Cena because yes, he will always transcend and he always is that main event guy, but he's been so solidly the US champion for basically six months, glossing over the thing he did with Seth Rollins there, just like they did at Hell in a Cell on commentary. And so he's been more of a mid card player recently. And you start thinking about it, okay, well, there's Randy Orton, but he's done nothing of note. He's been pretty solidly mid-card. Right, and, he, got, and he separated his shoulder, taking out the garbage. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you've got, like, Sheamus, who, because he's the Money in the Bank winner, should ostensibly be a main event player, but he's been completely pushed off to the side and been a non-factor in everything going on. You want to talk about a guy like maybe Cesaro, but all he does is lose in the mid-card. Who is there in the main event? You've got Seth Rollins. You had Sting, but he's out because Seth Rollins injured him. You've got The Undertaker, but he's been doing his own thing. You've got Kane? Brock Lesnar. And even even Brock Lesnar. Yes, yes, Brock Lesnar. But he's been doing his own thing. But you're right, he's a guy who has got that cred, who totally, <sighs> totally could be. So, I mean, the only thing I can think of that really gets Roman Reigns ready is he has to feud with Lesnar and come out on top. Mm-hmm. But well, and, and is that realistic? No, but then again, if the entire company is filled with guys who are, you know, let's call them the not-quite-yet-ready-for-prime-time main eventers, 
can this problem be solved? You're not going to bring out, you're not going to bring in, I hope, they're not going to bring in Triple H and have Roman Reigns fight Triple H to gain access into the Royal Rumble. As I'm talking about this, this is now probably what's going to happen. Roman Reigns is going to fight Triple H to open the Royal Rumble, and he has to beat Triple H to gain entry into the Royal Rumble, which he then wins, enters the Royal Rumble, wins it again, and then goes on. I don't know. I understand completely what you're saying that you usually need those main event guys to help you get over. But if you have a company that doesn't have them... And maybe I'm being unreasonable. Maybe I just have to take a step back and say, okay, you don't see any sort of main eventers here. But maybe it's... Maybe it's just that I'm not giving them... Maybe I'm just not giving them the credit. You know what I mean? Maybe it's legitimately just that Roman Reigns is a main eventer. Bray Wyatt is a main eventer. Um, Dean Ambrose <laughs> no, doesn't do no. anything. Is Don't a main get eventer. crazy. Do not get crazy. Dean Ambrose is not a main eventer. Dean Ambrose is the guy who sits and watches the main event. Dean Ambrose couldn't get on to the pre-show of Hell in a Cell. Like, they you know, couldn't but, but, figure out a way to work him in in a Ambrose versus Harper, Ambrose so you, okay. versus Rowan kind here's of a, thing. Here's a real question, then. Am I being too critical of the product, or do they legitimately not have a main event scene? Yes. Both? Yes. Okay. They okay. legitimately do not have a main event scene. In in the way that we normally think about it, they do not have those existing level of top tier guys. SummerSlam 2014, Roman Reigns beat Randy Orton. That was the kind of thing that they were going for. That was what you're talking about. He beat a 13 time world champion. And so when he was getting fast tracked to stardom, he was on the road to do that. But Randy Orton's no longer wrestling enough to be a main eventer. John Cena isn't. And when they these guys come back, they're going to wind up feuding with the same crop of guys we're talking about. So they're not going to be main event guys then anyways. If Daniel Bryan comes back tomorrow night on Raw and gets into a program with Cesaro or Seth Rollins or Bray Wyatt again, he's still, you know, he might be a main event guy and that's a distinction we can debate later, I'm sure. But He's still wrestling a mid-card guy. Unless he comes back and has a three- or four-month feud with Seth Rollins, all of these guys are kind of floating around the mid-card. And part of me thinks that's a good thing. Some of your main event guys right now are your Intercontinental and United States champion, or your Mex-America champion, as apparently it's being called now. I don't think that's a bad thing. If you're going to have Kevin Owens be a main eventer or a pseudo-main eventer, I don't think that's a bad thing. If yeah, you're going to have Albert about you always talk about how are they going to build back the prestige of those titles and that's how you do it. Exactly. You make the guys holding those belts be legitimate main event players. Yes. So if if that's kind of the road that they're heading down where they're going to say, "You know what? We don't have those true aces to use a baseball analogy. We don't have those true number 1 players. So we're going to take our number 2 and number 3 players and we're going to push them up to that main event spot and hopefully some of them will take the ball and run with it. I don't mind if that's what they're doing. You know, WWE is the only game in town for all intents and purposes. WWE is the only game in town. So I think that we can 
say if they want to do this with their younger guys, they can. Yeah. Um, they totally can do that with their younger guys. So, so I don't know that Roman Reigns... I think Roman Reigns should arrive by beating someone other than Seth Rollins. I think so, too. If I was booking it, Roman Reigns wouldn't win the title. Maybe he maybe he fights Seth Rollins at Survivor Series. Sheamus gets involved, finally using that briefcase for something. That's got to be it, right? Yeah. I think if you want to have a moment, an arrival moment like you're talking about, John Cena, at some point between now and March, wins his 16th title. And Roman Reigns beats him for it. Now, yeah. at WrestleMania, Roman Reigns, a year after coming so close... Roman Reigns has fought his way back to the top and has defeated the champion. Now you can consider him a true quote unquote main eventer because he beat John Cena at WrestleMania. Is that really what's going to happen? I don't know. I think Rollins goes in as champion and you have a triple threat with Cena and Reigns. And Reigns comes out on top and then you deny Cena his sixth time championship again. Um, that could work too. And that so also are you are you, are you hinting that Reigns and Cena are going to co-win the Rumble like Bret Hart and Lex Luger did? Or are they going to throw each other over the top rope and their feet hit at the same time? Yeah, probably. Um, but you know what? I, you could fix this without John Cena. I, we already talked about how unlikely it is. But honestly, after having the Wyatt family card out The Undertaker and Kane, if you just, if you just put Bray into the main event now as this unstoppable heel... Give him some wins. Have him beat Cesaro. Have him beat um, Kevin Owens or uh, Alberto Del Rio in non-title matchups. Have him beat The Big Show. Have him beat Ryback. Have him beat all these guys. And suddenly he's this unstoppable force, right? And you tell that story about how he took out The Undertaker, how he took out Kane, and now he's here and he is the force to be reckoned with. And then you have him dance, with Roman Reigns once more, and Reigns comes out on top. And that potentially fixes my problem with Reigns as well. And it fixes my problem with Bray Wyatt, and it fixes my problem with the main event scene in WWE, which is why it will never happen, because it's just too perfect. But, I mean, you could... Things are set up right now where you could make some main event players from your current group who aren't quite there. Mm -hmm. They just need to commit... I think you're right. And I would do, I love that idea, but I would do it slightly differently. If we're doing, if we're fixing from within, it's Dean Ambrose. Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns is close to winning the title from Seth Rollins. Ambrose comes out and clobbers both of them. Yes. He doesn't side with Rollins because that makes no sense. He hits Reigns with a chair. Then he turns around and hits Rollins with a chair. And he vanishes with the World Heavyweight title. So now you have the three of them. Ambrose being like, I don't like you because you turned on me. I don't like you because you took all the spots and I just sat here, you know, wiping up your wet hair. So... I'm taking this belt so and, and and you build to, and maybe it doesn't need to happen at WrestleMania, but maybe one of the main events of the Royal Rumble is a shield triple threat. You put sure. those three guys in a triple threat match. They will come out of it as main eventers. I guarantee you. 
the three of them have that history. They have the exactly. story built in. We still haven't gotten the payoff from the shield breaking up. You're right. Perfect. Mwah. You come out with three main event guys who are all have their own personal brands who are all looking for themselves. Now, if you do them both, if yeah. you if you do that, and then over here on the other side, you're building Bray Wyatt up. Now you've got potentially four to five main eventers and now, when John Cena comes back, he can be a mid-carder. Yeah, like, make be- no mistake. I complain about a lot about Bray Wyatt. I complain a lot about Roman Reigns. They have the potential to be the guys. So, yes. I, again, it's just a matter of it's commitment. committing That's what and, we- and telling the storyline that gets them there. Yes. That's what Liam Stryker said on NAI Pod. That's what we've been saying since we started doing DDT wrestling. There is a there are commitment problems, and that's what's resulted in this lack of a main event scene. But we just fixed it in two very beautiful ways. Uh, one last thing before we head off. I know we didn't get to cover everything, but we're at the one minute, one hour forty minute mark. Uh, somebody else wrote in Adam at Adam K NAI. Uh, did you see Hulk Hogan's Halloween costume? No. He dressed up like the Iron Sheik. Huh. And I, I, I guess things are... I, I guess he hasn't learned yet, I guess is the point I'm making. is Will Hulk Hogan ever learn Doc Manson at Doc Manson? Well, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks especially when they're non-racist ones. I'm just going to leave that there. (laughs) All right. Uh, Any final thoughts before we head off on this Sunday edition of DDT Wrestling? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, I just want to mention I'm caught up on NXT. Oh, that's right. We didn't even talk about that. Oh. That's we, all right. we, might have to, we might have to move to twice a week. I don't know. There's too much wrestling <laughs> to talk about here. There's a lot of wrestling so, to talk about. All right, because we do need to talk about that. I want to talk about how hard you popped for Alberto Del Rio. I want to talk about... Oh, my about, God. Uh, so, lots to talk about. We'll get to that. If you have a question for DDT Wrestling, you can find Doc Manson at Doc Manson. You can find me at DC Matthews NAI. We have an email address, ddtwrestling at gmail.com. So far, we've had one email I will mention you on the show multiple times if you send us an email. So we are our our inbox is empty. So help Absolutely. us help us out, neighborhood. For Doc Manson, I am DC Matthews. Have yourself an excellent first week of November, and we'll see you around the neighborhood. <laughs>